With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. I never knew what being burnt out was. I remember when I was a kid, the other kids in school would be called the burnouts. Then there was the jocks, and then there was people like me, whatever you want to call me. I was called lots of things. Even as an adult, I've always worked very hard and sometimes I'd get a little drained of energy, but I was never really burnt out. I didn't believe that burnout existed. I thought that was a myth. And somewhat recently, I've had an experience with being burnt out. In fact, I'm still kind of going through it. Probably the only thing that's surviving is the, you know, the podcast and some other activities, but I really wanted to understand. I didn't feel like depressed. I didn't know what it was, but it was like physically affecting me, preventing me from doing things. And I tried many odd and interesting things to kind of escape this burnt out feeling. And I had to really discover why I was burnt out. It's only been like the past month or so. You know, it'll definitely make an interesting story at some point. But first I wanted to understand what this is. So I sought out someone who was an expert a world-renowned expert on being burnt out and she tells her story and gives me some advice and I tell her what's going on with me. Here's the world-renowned expert on burning out if it's ever happened to you or if you want to avoid it. She also hosts nomoreburnout.org. Natalie Rachel. And by the way, her stories freaked me the hell out. Here she is. Natalie Rachel's an expert on burnout. I'm kind of burnt out, but Natalie, first tell me what does it mean to be an expert on burnout? Does that mean you get burnt out a lot or it means you know something about it? It's hopefully the opposite. Hopefully <laughs> it should mean that I get burnt out less, um, but I have been burnt out. So that was kind of where my interest in it and it came from. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm actually a behavioral economist by by training, um, but my focus had been on on decision-making and stress and the effect that stress had cumulatively on our decision-making process and our cognitive health. And that kind of led me to start looking at burnout and what kind of how, how the brain is affected when we're just chronically overstressed, overworked, um, and just kind of drained. And that's, that's what it is. It sounds depressing, but actually, you know, there is hope people do recover from it. And that's, that's what I help people do. I feel like a lot of people say, Oh man, I'm burnt out. But they're yeah. not really burnt out. <laughs> like, right. does burnout really mean? And and why did you get into the study of it? Like, what does it mean to study it? Yeah. So, I mean, 
maybe a good place to start would be like the definition of burnout is the, the World Health Organization defined it in 2019 as being a an occupational hazard. Um, and they defined it as being having sort of three defining characteristics. So it's kind of to def- define it as being different from just stress or exhaustion. So it's it's being in a state of energy depletion. So you feel very run down, very drained. Secondly, it will be there's a, a feeling of mental distance and negativity that you're conscious of between yourself and your colleagues and your family. Um, and thirdly, it's it's reduced professional efficacy. So you're actually getting objectively worse and less able to do your job. Um, so that will be that will be when you're in that state, you're actually already burnt out. But as you say, it's 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 a process and it's sometimes we're a little bit, we might say we're a bit burned out, but actually we can solve that just by resting and kind of taking a break. But true burnout is the kind of cumulative result of all these stresses. So for me, I've been like doing a lot of the kind of theory behind it, like looking at what are the drivers in the workplace that are causing people to be burned out, what's happening at a cultural level, uh, the organizational level, and also the individual level. So that's kind of what most of my research focuses on. But then I'm actually trying to apply that now so that people can use it in practical ways to start walking it back if they feel like they're at risk of getting burned out. How do you know if you're at risk of it? Like, what's the difference between being at risk and actually having it? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And I think it's one of those things that when you notice it, you're probably already quite burned out. But kind of paradoxically, when you're really, really burned out, everything else in your life has kind of fallen into the background. So you're less conscious of how out of balance your life has has become. So yeah, so how how you know you're at risk, I would, I think one way to think about it is like, there are different stages to it. So it's, so it's a process like at the, at the early stages, you might not actually feel bad at all. You might actually just feel that you're in kind of quite a passionate relationship with your work. You know, you, you feel infused, you feel engaged with it. The kind of psychological contract between you and your job has maybe become a little bit unbalanced. I mean, I'm talking about a job. It could be something else, but let's just say a job for now. It's kind of become a little bit unbalanced. So you're finding that you're starting earlier, you're finishing later. You're maybe letting your other commitments slide in favor of doing more work. You're thinking about work outside of when you've chosen to do it, when you should be thinking about something else, maybe. Um, and so that's kind of the first maybe the first intimation that things are a little bit unbalanced and, and that you're kind of becoming overcommitted and, and the blinkers have started to go on to like the other aspects of your life so that you're just kind of leaning into it. That's not burnt out. That might be, maybe you're suggesting maybe at that mm. point you're overworked. So you're yeah. expending mm. energy. The gas tank is running on empty. So you have to do other things to kind of optimize your energy and, and, yeah. and suggesting maybe that might lead to burnout. Yeah, exactly. So I would, what I would, if you just kind of wanted like a one sentence definition of burnout, I would say it's like, it's when you've got nothing in the tank, you've exhausted all your internal resources, but you're pushing on anyway. So it's like your mind and body are saying no, but you're just doing it anyway. And so what, what's like the reasons for burnout? Because is it just that you took on too many commitments? Cause I feel like people could do that for a long periods of time. And totally. I'll, I'll tell my mm-hmm. story in a second, but like yeah, what brings on burnout? I guess you could split it into like organizational things. Like that you might be that your organization is going through a big change that's kind of being forced on you. And you find yourself like having to take on work that either you don't feel equipped to do, or it's just too, or it's too much. And it's kind of your 
forced into a situation that you don't like. Um, so the kind of organizational factors, but then there's, I think there's cultural ones as well. Like people are just burned out by the amount of distraction there is, the amount of um, pressure on them from, from different sources. And then kind of personal ones, like if you're, you know, if your identity is very, and your purpose is very caught up with your job, with your role, with achievement, then that can also be a factor in driving your burnout because you, you just push on even when everything's telling you to stop. Yeah, particularly if things aren't going so well, but if you identify your self-worth mm -hmm. with the progress of whatever it is you're doing, whether it's a job or some other yeah. activity, maybe that could that lead to burnout? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's quite interesting. There was a story um, a couple of years ago, I think in the, in the Wall Street Journal about, um, I think it was called something like Beyond the Confetti. And it was about like all these kind of startup founders who were just plagued by the, this, just hellish experiences of burnout because they just kind of, as you say, like they they got their identity completely, fully identified with with their company, with their with their role, with their with their vision, um, right, and it, like an embarrassment to admit. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. And, and often it's like it, beyond just embarrassment, like often there's kind of billions of dollars, like investors money and, you know, all your employees are looking to you to sort of set, set, set the tone for the organization. So like to admit that you're really not coping well at all, um, it's kind of, yeah, as you say, really embarrassing, but also maybe has real kind of business consequences as well. But I mean, what I would say is that the business consequences of just pushing on regardless until you crash can be even more dire. So. Yeah. And, and I used to think like what you were saying earlier, burnout, something like, oh, I'm just a little tired of work right now. So I'm going to take a vacation and then I'll be refreshed. But mm -hmm. now I realize it's something different than that. Yeah. It's, it's not so easy to, it, it's not like just mm -hmm. rest and you're okay. That's it. And I think like, you know, if, if you are able to just rest and be okay, that's brilliant, but it probably wasn't burnout. It was probably just ordinary exhaustion, ordinary tiredness. Um, because that's a, there's a definition of burnout um, from Freudenberger in the 70s, and he, he said it was like emotional and physical collapse brought on by stress and overwork. So it's it's that link with stress and overwork that's really crucial. It's not just it's not simply you're so tired because you've just done so much. Because generally, if you've you know if you if you've delivered a huge project or you've run a marathon or something, then you will be really tired, but you'll also be satisfied and you'll you'll know that you can just rest and eventually you'll feel better. But with burnout, it's um, there's no sense of satisfaction. There's no sense that it's ever going to be over. Um, and even when you rest, you're not. It's not truly restorative because you just kind of have that compulsion to to keep going and you know have that sense that it's not. It's still not going to be. You're still not going to be satisfied. And what's the difference between burnout and like depression? That's a really good question. And often they, often they do get confused. Um, often if burnout's diagnosed at all, it's quite often misdiagnosed as, as depression. So, I mean, they're, they're linked, like they've certainly got a lot of overlap in symptoms, like the kind of low mood, um, the sort of feelings of disassociation, um, like the tiredness, the body aches, or, or a lot of, there is a, there's a huge overlap, but they are, there's a study actually on the, I think it's just called the medical perspective on burnout. And they, they do like saliva cortisol tests and burnout and depression are distinct. I think the, um, I'm trying to think what exactly it is, but it's, um, burnout is more similar chemically to post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's, it's more like a kind of trauma response than a, than a sort of long-term 
depression response, um, which I thought was quite interesting. And I suppose another way of you could, like a simple way of just passing the difference is burnout is associated with work. So you have, you know, the feelings of helplessness and anxiety are generally um, oriented towards your work, even if they do kind of spill over into other areas of life. Um, whereas I guess depression is more generalized. Yeah. So, so like I've never been burnt out before in my entire life and I've, mm -hmm. I work, I work pretty hard. Like I, right. last year when I, I know because of the pandemic was very hard and, and a lot of people got burnt out or a lot of people lost their jobs and it was very frustrating work-wise I was doing great. Like I upped my podcast from two a week to five a week. Mm -hmm. I was doing articles every day. I wrote two books. I started a business. I invested in businesses. I moved in general, and that's for 25 years. I'm, I'm a hugely productive person mm -hmm. and people always say, Oh, how are you so productive? And I'm very efficient mm -hmm. with my time. Mm -hmm. And, and so I don't think it was a matter of, for me. And let me, let me fast forward to where I am now. I literally yeah. can't do anything. Like I have to be dragged to do a podcast and, mm -hmm. and that's not totally true. I do all the things I'm responsible for. I keep track yeah. of my responsibilities. I, most of the time I do the, I do like the bare minimum. And I wrote this article in August. I think this was related to getting burnt out. I wrote this article in August called New York city is dead forever. Here's why. And mm -hmm. I got a lot, I, a lot of people liked it, but a lot of people that I knew and was friends with and people mm -hmm. I even, you know, was close to and other people I admired hated it and mm -hmm. let me know about it. So um, about, mm -hmm. about a, that's tough. Yeah. 30 million people mm -hmm. liked it and about a million people let me know how much they hated it and how much they hated me. And it was even like, oh ex-girlfriends writing articles about me oh and uh, <laughs> people who used to work for me, like commenting or sharing these articles that were against me. And I was always like really surprised. Oh. And I even was fine with all of that. And then sometime maybe four or five months later, it was still going on. I never, I've had negative reactions mm -hmm. on articles before, but I never had this much. And then there were other things too, like, you know, just in general, um, you know, I, I, at any given point, I have seven or eight things going on. Cause I, I like to do what I call diversify my dopamine. So if something's <laughs> yeah. not going well, presumably one of the seven other things will be going well and fine, but gradually everything just shut down. And right. I, because I, I think my brain was telling me you're going to get punished if you stand out anymore. And, right. and so somehow I just like shut down and that was that. And then and then everybody was saying, oh, you're going to have to get back to normal. You're going to have to get back to normal. But I don't think there's like a normal. I don't think it's like you're burnt out and then there's normal. I think mm. there's like a new normal, as they say. I agree. I don't know what it is. So I don't know. Mm. I don't know how to get out of this burnout or I've, tr I've literally tried everything. I've tried like mm -hmm. huge numbers. I've tried unusual things like experimental things. I've tried everything. Okay. It's like a therapy session. <laughs> no, I mean, I I mean, it's fascinating because what everything that you do sounds like you do, you are doing the right things, like the, the the diversification. I mean, if you can certainly, if you can broaden your self concept, that's something that people do find helpful. If they can find that they're getting their nourishment from lots of different sources, like their nourishment to the, to themselves. So, so that's a good good place to start. But I think that maybe, you know, like you say, it it, it is transformative. Like that's something that people don't always realize with burnout they do just try to bounce back to where they were before without really 
acknowledging that they're not going to be the same person as, as they were before going through burnout is hugely transformative. And then coming out the other side is, is as well. And, and generally people don't stay the same. Um, I mean, it's quite an interesting um, study, but there's a lady called Dr. Jerry Paleo, she, who does a lot of the work on linking burnout and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and she says that often when people come out, the, I think it was 90% of the people in the study, in her, if, in her study, they not only don't go back to the previous employer, they leave the entire industry. Like they can't even stand to be associated with anything that might remind them of what caused their burnout. Um, so sometimes like a complete hard reset might be, might be a good way to, way to approach it. If something's kind of, yeah, I mean, it, it, if you think of it in terms of like a, a a trauma response where you're just kind of shutting down to protect yourself. I think that's what it is. I think because most other areas were fine. They had their normal mm -hmm. ups and downs for me, but maybe kind of simultaneously things were down or slow across the board and combined with the fact that this overwhelming response, like I, it's so unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Some of the responses I got and still get here. It is what month it is March. I wrote this article in August and today mm -hmm. I still have my goodness, you know, people mm. saying things and mm. not to describe the articles. I've done that before mm. in this podcast, but I, people misinterpret it. Everybody gets yeah. everything wrong. And mm. so, so literally it, it, it's like when I sit down to write, for instance, I'm trying to, and sometimes I succeed, but maybe I used to write every day. Maybe I've written three articles since November, yeah. you know, and, and podcasts, we were doing five a week. Now maybe mm -hmm. Jay, how many are we doing? Like two or three? Yep. Uh, yeah, it's two, two, or three. Yep. Two or three. Sometimes yep. three. So yep. like basically that the minimum needed to pay the bills here. And then, you know, and uh, yeah, then there's other things, activities mm. I'm involved in, but really I have like, no, it's not like grabbing me like it used to like everything. Mm. I, I sort of think a good, a big part of being productive is loving what you do because then you don't have to spend the energy convincing yourself to do it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And so yeah. with the burnout, I'm, I'm, I don't have that energy right now. And so consequently I do, you know, uh, nothing or, or mm -hmm. I'll play like online chess all day or something like that. Like, but when I say all day, I'll be, it'll be like 18 hours in a day. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, I, and here <laughs> I just, I, I just wrote a book about being productive and the book still holds mm -hmm. by the way, but it mm -hmm. just doesn't account for if you're totally burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes, makes perfect sense. I mean, it's, I, I think quite a few people maybe could relate to like, just that feeling of intense, like inhibition, like something has happened that kind of almost unconsciously, you just don't feel safe being your full self at the moment. So it's kind of just shut down, um, to kind of keep, to keep you safe. And I think that that it's interesting. It's like, it's, that's come up before actually when I've been speaking to people that the feeling that they're going to be misinterpreted and then attacked for expressing themselves is a really common trigger actually to just kind of shut down. And, and one of the things with burnout is it, it does stop people feeling connected to other people. Um, yeah. and it's, and it also kind of stops people feeling autonomous at the same time. I think it's a really quite perverse condition because when you, when you think about like what it is to be human, it's like, it's to be someone who's connected to other people, but also kind of autonomous in the sense that, you know, you know, your own inner voice and your own mind and you're able to express it, but also kind of connect authentically with other people. Um, and when you're burned out, and I think one of the big 
features or sort of big cultural drivers of burnout at the moment is the fact that we're kind of isolated, like physically at the moment, and also just kind of psychologically. But we're also bombarded as well. Like we have this instant feedback of other people's opinions, sometimes kind of, as you say, like willfully misinterpreting what you've what you said. And like I've noticed it so much online, like you, people are already anticipating what people are going to say in response to them. So they've got this, it's, it's quicker than instant feedback loop from other people because they've, they've internalized what they're going to get bashed for. Yeah. And people aren't even talking about the same thing anymore. It's, but it's, yeah, I know I'm sort of going off on a bit of a tangent, so do just kind no, of stop okay. me. But <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it, one thing that's kind of been really noticeable in like the, let's just say like about the Harry and Meghan and Oprah fights that people have been having online. People are so sure that they know what happened when we don't, <laughs> you know, no, none of us was was there. Um, but also they don't even agree on what's been reported, like what's what's even what we're even talking about, what the situation is that, that's even under discussion. And yet they're kind of really going viciously at each other. Like yeah. in a way that you never would in person, surely. But it's draining. It's it's incredibly draining to people. And I think that one of the responses people have is to just withdraw, either completely put on almost like a kind of fake persona, which is hugely alienating um or or just pull out altogether and the you know the statistics on like how much time people spend online and the effect it has on their mental health and their and their well-being is is it's pretty clear it's 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 a it's a almost perfect negative relationship um it's not a healthy environment for to spend a lot of time yeah so what can you do about it and like what you said mm -hmm. earlier like i'm really not so much an angry person or an irritable person and mm -hmm. i really enjoy all the things i do but uh lately because of this uh i've been a, a little more irritable perhaps because there's all this pressure to be be back to normal and yeah. uh uh yeah it's just every day i think i'm gonna get over it and then by midday or even by morning i'm just i'm just not and I've never mm -hmm. in 25 years, I've worked past 25 years. I've worked seven days a week. I love what I'm doing. Usually I'm super productive and I've never experienced this before, but maybe because literally a million people took the time out to let, to hate me. Uh, mm -hmm. and I'm not mm -hmm. complaining about it. Like I like to write and, and I don't write mm -hmm. unless I think I'm saying something interesting. And sometimes yeah. that makes it controversial and people argue, but this was above and beyond anything I've ever experienced. Yeah. And I literally starting around mid November, early December, like total, it was gradual, but I just totally shut down. And then by January, February, people started to notice. So like people wrote, how come you're not posting on different social media? How come you're not writing as many mm -hmm. articles? And I, and that, you know, I felt bad, but it's mm -hmm. not, again, it's not that I'm, I don't know. I, I feel weird. I feel like there's some stigma associated with all of this because I'm supposed to be like super productive all the time. And <laughs> right. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not being not productive because I don't want to be. It's just, this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So what yeah. should I do? <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the first, the first step is, is to kind of maybe let go of, of that expectation that you've got to get back to exactly how you were before as soon as possible. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you don't need to be the same as you were before. Maybe you can be um, 
you know someone someone different and and just kind of in, and integrate this experience into you know into into what you do going forward i mean i'm just sort of one of the things i just drawing on what what other people have, have said to me in, in the past it's like in the kind of pressure to get back to how they were before they skip almost like a kind of mourning process or like a grieving process just to, that sort of acknowledges that something traumatic and disturbing happened to them um and the you know in the person that they that they were and the and the things they were going to do and the things they were looking forward to they you know they've lost them even if it's just kind of temporarily uh, and just kind of give yourself a, a, a moment to to feel sad about that if you want to or kind of feel angry about it but how do you mourn that mm, it's i mean it, it is tough i mean i what i would probably do is is acknowledge it maybe try and like articulate what it is that you feel you've lost and sort of not necessarily quantify it, but just kind of make it real, like, and, and without without any judgment, like, you know, you're not, because sometimes people feel guilty about sort of talking about what they've lost when they think, oh, you know, there's people who've lost so much more and um, and sort of beat themselves up about it. But I think it's fair to, you know, to feel feel sad about it. And I think one of the things when people have, have been either burnt out by work or by a sort of nasty experience, possibly like that like you had, is, is the sense of injustice. Like the fact that, you know, possibly something's happened to you that wasn't, entirely your fault. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it's kind of something that you did initiated it or something, but if it's been um, willfully misinterpreted by people and sort of blown out of proportion, then I think that like having a, a trauma response to it is, is understandable because it's, it's a shock when, you know, when you, when you put yourself out there and you're vulnerable and then it kind of gets completely out of proportion, smashed back in your face. It's, you know, that's, that's, that hurts. So I would, I would certainly take take a bit of time to, you know, sit with the, you know, with the with the grief and the and the anger about that. And then from there, just start to get curious again about what does really motivate you and what you want to do. That's because that's something that and do feel free to just kind of stop me if I'm waffling, but No, no, no. Uh, please. Sure. Um yeah, so so people often like one of the things I think that people who suffer from burnout, it's comes as a bit of a surprise to them is that they maybe they feel quite like they spend a lot of time they feel like they spend a lot of time thinking about themselves and people might even say you that you know they were quite self-absorbed but it's but it's not coming from a place of curiosity like if it's you know i think a lot of the influence people say like millennials and i'm you know i'm a millennial but um say the quite it's quite a narcissistic culture and you know narcissists are kind of self-obsessed and so on but Self-obsession is very different to being curious about yourself, as in just really looking to get to know yourself without any judgment, without trying to manage other people's expectations of you, without any sort of uh, preconceptions about what it's good to want, what it's good to be like, what you ought to be doing, how you ought to be perceived, and just kind of let that go and and just really spend that time being curious about yourself. Because um, people don't know themselves very well. One of the things I found quite interesting is even what people think is going to make them feel good whenever the psychologists do these kind of experience monitoring experiments all the things that we think of as being like harmless fun like just watching tv eating chocolate whatever people actually find them mildly depressing like when they report in the moment how they're feeling there's like a teeny bit of relief but then you're actually back to feeling slightly worse than you did before you feel less motivated less confident less engaged and i just think that's so well, it's sad, but it's also fascinating how how we don't really know ourselves that well at all.
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything 
than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gotta use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I feel like there's two types of activities that people think are going to make them happy other than socializing and meeting new people. So these are just in terms of like activities. Mm -hmm. So things like TV where... You enjoy watching shows, you relax, and you think that's going to make you happy. And then the other activity is when you're doing something you love. Like, let's say you love playing tennis and you play tennis or you love, I don't know, you love being an accountant. So you go to your work as an accountant and, and the, the latter category, they're not always pleasant because they're hard. And yeah. so like, if you want to be a tennis player, you're going to lose some games and that's not pleasant. Whereas yeah. TV is always sort of this, this mindless thing. And maybe it's mm -hmm. not as happy inducing as people think, whereas yeah. hard activities are not really meant to be happy. They're meant to be, you know, fulfilling and challenging. And, mm -hmm. and those are the types of activities that were, uh, you know, for 25 years mm -hmm. I've been doing and enjoying, and I'm okay with them being difficult and being sometimes yeah. extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why this time over other difficult times, it affected me more. I think that's a good distinction to make, like what, what people think of as kind of easy fun and then kind of hard fun. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, people definitely overestimate how good they're going to feel doing the easy fun stuff. And really, as you say, like normally it's invigorating is the challenge. And I think that's because we're so absorbed in it. Like we can't be worrying about the future or feeling bad about the past or whatever, when we're playing tennis or mountain biking, because if you lose focus, then you, <laughs> and you're done basically. But, um, so I think that's maybe why that's, so maybe it's, they're not absorbing you like they used to. Um, one concept that I found quite helpful is, I don't know if you read any sort of Buddhist philosophy, but, you know, they talk about all these kind of ordinary pleasures as just being changing suffering, that they're not actually a source of pleasure. They're just kind of relief from whatever it was that was manifest suffering before. But if you kind of keep going with it, it will just turn into suffering. Again, I mean, I suppose chocolate is an obvious example. Like, if you, you know, when you've, first start it's delicious second square a little bit less delicious third mm, it's okay <laughs> and then you know and so on they start to feel sick but well and like take 
take an activity like writing, for instance. So people mm. who are writers, you have to really enjoy writing to write. Like some people write mm. because they feel they should, they need like, it'll be good on their resume. But mm. to sit in front of a keyboard for thousands of hours is not really a pleasant activity. You have to really yeah. love it to do it. And I've, I've loved it. I've written every day since 1990 until, uh, until this recent period. Mm. And same thing, like also I do, I perform a lot of stand-up comedy. I'm a stand-up comedian. And you have to love that because sometimes when you do it, people are angry at you while you're doing it. And yeah. so you have to be able to come back. Even if you hate it that night, you have to be able to come back the next day and say, boy, I can't wait to get back on stage and do it. But like all of those things that normally drive me to keep on going have mm -hmm. like disappeared. And, mm -hmm. you know, and again, I, the one thing I've replaced it with correctly or incorrectly, and this sounds stupid, is I just play like online chess and try to get better at that. But again, some days, some days I can control myself. Some days it's like 15 hours a day when I should be doing other things. I'm admitting mm -hmm. this to everybody in the world right now on my podcast. Mm -hmm. And again, has nothing to do mm -hmm. with when I, I still try to do keep the quality high when I do produce stuff. But um, yeah, I've just been trying mm -hmm. to figure this, figure this out, uh, whether it's just a time thing or yeah. what, what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think time could be, could be an element of it. Like maybe like you're just kind of putting a lot of pressure on yourself to get back too quickly to how you were before when maybe rather than kind of focus on focusing on trying to go backwards, maybe just sort of embrace momentum of going forwards. And even if you're kind of going forward at a slower pace or in a different way, um, everything, every, you know, everything changes, like everything's kind of impermanent in that sense. So, you know, I would, I would just kind of take one day at a time, but looking forward rather than comparing it to how you were before. Um, Cause you know, th things change whether we want them to or not. So I would kind of maybe embrace, embrace the changes and, look to create I don't know how you whether you respond well to having quite a like a regimented sort of full schedule or whether you prefer to just kind of go with how you feel in the moment but it you know it can be quite helpful to try I don't know maybe try and just look through your schedule and just try and plot out where where your energy is at different points sort of during the day like what you're doing at that time who you're with what you're thinking about time of day, whether you're outside, inside, and just kind of try and get a feel for like what your new rhythms might be. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I haven't, I haven't really done that. I feel like my new rhythm is to do nothing. <laughs> so, cause again, I've been doing so like, I was so proud of myself this pandemic. Like I did mm -hmm. so many great things and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, every now and then mm -hmm. I try to do all those things again. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but mm -hmm. Like you said earlier, a lot of times the person who's burnt out, in this case me, I feel like I'm faking it so people don't worry that I, their yeah. projects that they're doing with me are going down the tubes, which they're not, I should assure people. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. again, I've been doing just sort of bare minimum kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, what's what's examples you've like, what's the relationship between burnout and post traumatic stress? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a close one, actually. Like, there's, there's um, some you know, they, they do have a lot of features in common. So like, for example, like they both have like, if it's, let's say you're, you're burnt out by your job, um, or, and, and or sort of traumatized by something, then it would be like being exposed to that again, leads to like feelings of like hopelessness, fear, 
at the most extreme kind of horror and just kind of that wish to get away from it and just put some distance between you and the thing. Um, disturbed sleep, feeling withdrawn, depressed, um, mood changes. Like, you, I mean, you mentioned feeling kind of more irritable um, and sort of maybe a bit, maybe a bit withdrawn and just kind of a wish to avoid any associations that are kind of going to bring up that, bring up that stressor again. Um, and I think one of the reasons it, they maybe do, do do link up so so clearly sometimes is because it's it feels like when you're kind of in a in a stressful work situation it can it can feel like things are being done to you without your choice um and so it's it's sort of similar to the kind of trauma response which is to kind of force apathy and numbness um because you know you're pushing down that kind of natural instinct to fight back and defend yourself but while you're pushing that down you're also pushing down all your kind of joy and your excitement and your curiosity. And then you're left with just this kind of flat state. And, and if you're in that state kind of over a prolonged period of time, obviously that has kind of chemical changes to your body, but also just kind of emotionally, you, you get into that emotional pattern um, where it's, it's kind of, it's almost like a kind of resistance to what's happening to you, but you've got no choice. So you're just kind of, passive resistance as a, as a kind of state of mind um and you end up with this kind of numb flat sort of feeling so those are the kind of i guess the, the main links between post-traumatic stress disorder and it's, and it's not really surprising like when you hear people talking about work when they've been burned out they talk about feeling like they're being stalked by their job and you know and things being kind of forced on them like they do use quite traumatic sort of violent language um how, how do you see these people what what's a story where someone gets better and life's great after that? Yeah, I mean it definitely happens actually. Like it's um a lot of people do say that although it was kind of traumatic, although it was hugely transformative and not something that they would have kind of willingly chosen to happen to them, a lot of people do say it was uh, a defining moment in their life in a positive way because it forced them uh, to to get in touch with their authentic self. It forced them to kind of make these intentional changes to restore themselves to health and they and in the process kind of they ended up getting to know themselves a lot better they formed uh, closer bonds with people around them because they had to you know lean on their support network and, and really sort of um, make make those make those links with with their with their true authentic self and, and other people too so that's a positive often people do change direction a little bit often they don't go back to the same job or same career path they they will either incorporate new interests and sort of broaden that broaden their interests or they might change direction altogether um because one of the things that actually people talk about when they're recovering from burnout is they you know they they realize how little of their life before that they'd actually chosen for themselves it had all just kind of been um a series of um decisions that were almost made for them or just kind of path of least resistance type things and before they really got a chance to reflect they found themselves in this situation that they really weren't happy with were just kind of pushing on so the fact that it came to a crisis where they were kind of forced out of that situation um is a chance to reflect um and, and rebuild in a way that's more in line with actually who they are what what they want to prioritize i mean that makes sense because like i feel like a couple of times in the almost the distant past i've had periods where i've slowed down a little bit, but I've this, I'm talking like in the nineties or early mm -hmm. O's, I actually was depressed cause I had lost some money and blah, blah, blah. 
And I came up with like a practice of things to do that would kind of keep me healthy and uplifted while I was going mm -hmm. through it. But this time mm -hmm. seemed somehow worse for some reason, even though mm -hmm. it didn't really start as depression or anything like that. And, and it wasn't really horrible what happened to me. It just, it was like so ongoing and yeah. so nasty the entire time. And again, yeah. I've experienced that before, but not to this extent. And I'm being a little mm. crybaby. Like some people have real problems. So, no, and that's you know, like I said, that is something that people say. I mean, don't like then beat yourself up on top of on top of what you're you know what you're suffering through. It's um, you know, we, we've all got our problems, and I don't I don't think it's that some are necessarily worse than others. I mean, we're, we're, everyone's suffering in in some way, whether it's openly or, or secretly or you know physically mentally like everyone's got their got their suffering so you know I, I don't think you should um do it down necessarily I mean from what I guess from what you said it seems to me like you had a really nasty shock um and you're still recovering from it I mean I and you've kind of pushed through um to to so that you are productive like more than a lot of people would but I I think it's terrifying to, you know, I've never had anything like a million people all, all, um, well, maybe after this, but <laughs> I'll tell him. How dare you him. help him? <laughs> um, what, what have you ever, have you ever been like severely burnt out? Yeah. I mean, in a word. Yeah. Um, so it was when I was actually doing it at one point I was doing a teaching and research fellowship, um, thinking that I wanted to go into a sort of academic career, um, and started doing a PhD, but actually really didn't want to be doing that um but I'd kind of just set off on this kind of treadmill and it would be such a you know such a so I thought such a big disappointment to everyone to kind of get off get off that treadmill um that yeah I did get very sort of burnt out and very much sort of identified with that just feeling of being on autopilot just very kind of numb I've kind of felt quite isolated because I kind of wasn't able to uh, talk to people around me and really kind of connect with them authentically. And then I was kind of almost kind of feeling resentful towards them that they didn't just psychically know what was wrong and give me permission to, <laughs> to quit this PhD. Um, so that kind of created a, a barrier. But then to cut a long story short, um, basically I ended up getting meningitis and lost my eyesight for a year. Wow. And uh, yeah, so, and it, and that sort of gave me a chance to pause, like an enforced pause, obviously. So, um, so, so wait, you, you woke up one morning and you were blind? Quite, well, pretty much. I mean, I, I, so it started like I just thought I had flu. It I just kind of felt kind of achy and clammy and just kind of run down. And then it kind of fairly rapidly went downhill. And yeah, as you say, then I kind of just passed out, woke up, thought I had my eyes closed, but I actually couldn't see out of them. So, um, that I mean, that was that was traumatic in itself, and that kind of took a long time to to sort of integrate that experience. Um, Could you see a little bit, or was it totally black? At first, totally black, um, wow. but then kind of came back just very sort of gradually, but in a weird sort of a way. Like I just kind of felt like I was all I could see things, but it was like looking at a flat postcard. Like it's quite hard to describe, but like I could kind of I would look out of the window, and it if I didn't know intellectually. That the ground was a long way down i would have just walked out the window <laughs> like it just everything just kind of looked flat um and also like i was kind of looking through a little hole like a kind of letterbox because my peripheral vision had gone um, it's almost like your your brain that processes image the part of your brain that processes images 
stopped working and you had to kind of teach a new part. Your brain had to switch gears to a new part and it took a while for the new part to, to learn from the ground up how to see. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was what was so kind of, you know, in in hindsight, quite fascinating about it was that my brain was fine. My eyes were fine in the sense of like my eyeballs, but the, just the, the connection had just stopped working. It was like, it was, you know, they, they, when they wrote up what had happened, they just put optic nerve atrophy, which is like the vaguest (laughs) term really. It just meant my optic nerve had stopped working. Um, so you must've been scared to death. Did you think you were blind forever? Yeah. Yeah. For a while I did. Yeah. And it took me a long time to kind of, um, sort of come to terms with, with, with that really kind of to sort of, cause for, for ages, I was just sort of saying, oh, I'm ill. I've got, you know, I'm ill and I'm getting better. It's taken a while. But then someone actually said, you're not, well, no, you're not really ill. Like you're disabled. And that kind of was like, oh, <laughs> I hadn't really thought of that and, until that point. So, and that was then frustrated because I felt like, oh, well, I've delayed so much of, I've just spent this year kind of just sitting here waiting for my eyes to come back when really I should have been learning Braille. I should have been, you know, I should have been getting all the equipment and stuff. But, um, so that was a kind of, then I kind of took, sorry. Do you think your immune system and the meningitis and the blindness was, was also related to the burnout? Like basically this is your body telling you, Hey, we told you one way and you wouldn't listen (laughs) to us. So now we're going to get a little harsher. Mm, exactly. I mean, yeah, to be honest, I mean, and it may just be that like, I kind of, that's the story that I've come up with, but, um, it certainly seemed like that. I mean, I, I, cause it, I was just, everything in me was telling me, no, you don't want to do a PhD. Like you don't want to be doctor, like whatever, this isn't you at all. Um, but I just kind of kept plodding on, plodding on, plodding on. And I was getting so angry and angry with myself. Cause like, it was like, my mind was saying no, my body was saying no, but then just this stupid little voice was saying, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so I was getting more and more angry with myself and, um, picking up all the kind of coughs and colds and my skin was bad and my hair was bad. You know, I was just very run down. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, then it just kind of all crashed, like all systems failed. Um, and ended up catching meningitis bacterial meningitis and and that was sort of how it came out but the i mean we were talking before about can it be a positive thing i mean it's it certainly was actually i mean like in on balance like at the time it wasn't but it really gave me an opportunity when i think about where i'd be now had i not gone through that it actually like makes me quite upset because i think i would be living some kind of quite fake life that i didn't actually want but it it kind of gave me such a second chance really to pause, change direction, nurture the relationships that I wanted to nurture. Around the time that you got sick and you really broke down. So you had to not work because you were, Mm. you were ill a year later or six months later, whenever it was, what started to excite you? What started to bring you back to life in terms of professional activities? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it was actually kind of learning again and actually like looking, you know, finding out, getting back into that learning mindset of just being really curious about um, something that I didn't know much about, which was, I mean, it was, it was, I was still kind of doing economics, like sort of behavioral economics, but I got interested in this, this idea about, about stress and decision-making and all the kind of different factors that feed into um, basically how, how stressed people are, including kind of environmental factors. I mean, I won't sort of go bore you with all, all the kind of ins and outs of it, but like that was the, um, it was actually finding a project that was completely new where I was a beginner and and really getting stuck into that. I think that was that, and I loved that, like I get that real joy of learning came back then. 
um, and I could see how it could benefit people. I could see how it would help me. It was really kind of um, intriguing to me how how, the, how these systems all work together and stuff. So it was it, it was that it was finding something that I was really curious about again. And how did you pursue studying it? Um, well, I mean, at first it was, I just kind of had this rather clunky, uh, kind of Stephen Hawking voice on my laptop that would just read things out to me. Um, so I just tried to find as many articles as I could and get those read out to me. Um, and then I kind of fortunately had quite a few friends who were still at the university and stuff that I could, you know, say, what's the latest research on this and stuff and kind of start having conversations with them. But it was, it was really, you know, that's one of the things with, um, a PhD, you get, you get your little tiny area just gets smaller and smaller and you kind of go deeper and deeper into this teeny, teeny area and you can get quite isolated. And if it's not something that you absolutely love, then you lose touch with everything else. So it was nice actually to step out of that and just say, you know, this is an area I'm a complete beginner in, please, please teach me and talk to me about it. What should I be reading? What was it frustrating at all? So you were starting this new thing a little bit later in life than you had hoped. Mm -hmm. And was there, um, setbacks as you were learning and pursuing career and so on? Kind of yes and no. I mean, I, I think if I'd kind of wanted to then sort of start again with an academic career, then yeah, it would be, then I would be kind of be starting again. And seven years feels like such a long time. I mean, it's not really in the course of a lifetime, but it feels it at the, at the time. But, um, I sort of decided that I did because I didn't actually want to do that whole formal, uh, sort of academic process of you know doing a PhD then you're an associate professor then you're a professor then you, and all and all that I just kind of thought well I'm not I, I'm not really interested in following those rules anymore so it just kind of takes as long as it takes and the, with because there was no end goal like you know to just get this professorship it actually doesn't matter if it takes me the rest of my life I don't really want this to end I just I'm quite happy for it to just kind of roll on and 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 take us take as long as it takes because I'm just I'm just curious about it and enjoying it um but what I ended up doing actually was was with a with a friend starting a a, a training and a, a training company that kind of worked with like stress and decision making. And um, we did that for a few years, and then we sold that, and so that's kind of enabled me to be able to do a bit of like early stage investing, which I'm interested in, and do do try and get this burnout um, ideas out for people so they can really help use them to to benefit themselves and things. So, um. I'm actually kind of happy to have a sort of career that's like lots of little different different projects going on at a time because um, that because that I mean for some people they absolutely love the whole academic lifestyle and they love the you know even the rivalries they enjoy it but it just, I, for me it was just soul destroying it just like really kind of got me down so um, so it's it's been brilliant actually being able to do my own thing through but again it's like if someone had said to me would you like to go blind of course I would have said no <laughs> but, but, yeah. I, but I genuinely don't think it would have happened had I not I just nothing would have pushed me hard enough to get me off that treadmill and and how were you able to I mean obviously when you were sick it was kind of a way to say look I can't do my usual responsibilities mm -hmm. I'm sick and you know I I like my usual things I'm yeah. just the speed and I feel I'm still, it's not like I'm not good at them right now, but it's like a lot of the descriptions that you say seem to apply to me. And I've been, again, trying to figure out, is there, is there medication for this? Or like my normal practice of just being healthy uh, in various ways in my life doesn't really seem to help because, you know, there's, there's so many activities each, each day that I've been doing for years that 
I'm kind of like burnt out on, on all of them a little bit, except for maybe yeah. podcasting. Just want to make sure my podcast listeners know I love doing this podcast. <laughs> but, uh, and I learn, I, this is the main way I learn from about the outside world now. Cause I just stay inside my office all day. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so I guess I think you're right. Like asking questions and exploring things, but also it seems like somehow I have to figure out how to give myself a little bit of time, which is difficult. Yeah. You have responsibilities. So I have to kind mm-hmm. of half and half take time. Yeah, I, I can understand that definitely. I mean, I suppose when you you can maybe I don't I don't know, but maybe take take some time in between when you're when you're doing your responsibilities, like figure out what you have what you have to do, and maybe I don't know if you could maybe batch those those responsibilities together in such a way that you can f- just focus on those for a couple of days or something, and then maybe take take a couple of days time to just do something totally different. Um, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe this isn't practical, but some people find it very helpful to just go somewhere completely new and just get lost for a while. That's one way of activating your different parts of your brain. If you've kind of got a bit stuck on same few thoughts, same few routines, it's just kind of go and get lost and try and find your way home again. (laughs) What do you do with the people who are maybe frustrated because you're not your normal self? Like let's say in your case, maybe your parents Mm -hmm. really wanted you to get that PhD and they were frustrated or upset. What, What do you start to tell them? Yeah, it, I mean, and that was kind of one of my worries. Is it? And some of it was just completely coming from me. Like some of it was just pure projection of how, what I thought they were going to react like. Um, generally, I, I think that it, I just had to just take it really. Like just kind of if if people were disappointed, just accept that they'll get over it. But but it's but I've got to live my own you know, I've got to live this, this life. And, and ultimately they will, if they're people that you have that authentic connection with, like fortunately with, with, I do with my parents, um, then, then they will ultimately be, be happy to see me happy. And if, and if, and this is the thing, it, it's almost unfair to kind of try to make out that they were forcing me to do it or anything. They had no idea that I was that miserable. They, like, they really didn't. So, you know, it, I think that had I been, open with them to begin with they probably would have supported it anyway um so how, how to deal with 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 other people I suppose I mean the people that you can be open with I would say be as open as you can I, I mean I've I've found that people have always almost always surprised me for the better how they've reacted like when I've said that I've been struggling or not happy to do something anymore I mean I think I just think it's essential to be clear about what you want to happen. That was something that I kind of used to struggle with quite a lot, actually just being clear and saying no to people. But it's I think people find it more stressful if you're, you know, doing a bit of a half-baked job for them, like you're sort of yeah. resenting doing it, but you're but you're doing it anyway. Um I think it's probably better in the long run for them and for you to to just be unambiguous about what you can and can't do, what you what is and isn't important to you. Wow. Well, this is, this has been really great, Natalie. I think you gave me a lot of insights into what's, what's going on with me right now. And, uh, what, what, what are you working on right now? Like what, what can I drive people towards? I really appreciate you coming on the podcast on short notice. No, it's such a pleasure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at the moment I'm still working with individual clients, but also organizations on anti-burnout strategies like you know sort of how to avoid it how to walk back from it but also I'm doing more work now like like we talked about on like how to modify environments to support 
to support healthy cognitive and emotional function. So we all kind of know that like distractions and stressful environments can have a bad effect on our sort of mental function and things, but I'm trying to sort of do the opposite. So like help people create the healthiest environments for, for themselves. Um, like, well, how can you make a, a home office? What are, what are best standards for making a home office healthy? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is, that's the biggest challenge at the moment. Um, yeah. So I, the, the, what I would do is maybe look at like the key elements that you want to get from your day. So I would say you want to have some inspiration, some form of connection, uh, you know, with, with other people that you, that you have a bond with that, you know, that matter to you. Also, uh, you want some other that you, that you can kind of research like a, and you can, you can do this digitally. You don't have to do it as in like all different rooms. You can just kind of do this uh, with your digital world. But I think if you've got kind of inspiration, connection, a place you can actually do kind of deep focused work as well um, and, and create your environment to, to support those different phases of, of cognitive function, then, you'll, then you'd be pretty close to, a, to an ideal day. And there's this, this things you can do. I mean, nature is obviously a really good, not everyone's got that luxury, but if you've got some way of connecting with nature, even if it's just like a window um, or a tree, that's, you know, that there's a lot of research to show that's incredibly good for you. Yeah, well. I have to start doing all of that stuff, but, uh, thank you so much, Natalie. And, and where can people find you? So, um, you can find me where, where you find me on, on Twitter. So, um, Natalie, Rachel R. And I also have a website, nomoreburnout.org. Nomoreburnout.org. Natalie, thanks so much. Maybe this is not the first time I'm going to ask you on if I get worse. So, uh, <laughs> well, anytime, anytime I feel more than happy to chat with you, of course. And, and also I wanted to say as well, because someone who's moving, who's moved to New York, I actually read, read your article and for what it's worth. I thought it was coming from a place of love. I actually didn't take offense to it at all. That's yeah, I it did come from a place of love. I grew up there and live, <laughs> and I've lived there until only a few weeks ago, practically. <laughs> and I wanted the problems to be solved. And then I don't know why everybody took it the wrong way. I mean, there was some cognitive dissonance that it triggered. And I think a lot of people who hated it didn't even read it. Um, yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. It's like, I can't, I can't convince everybody not to feel the way they do. But um, thank you very much for saying that. Sure, sure. No, I just feel, feel for you. <laughs> Hopefully you get back to New York uh, as soon as possible once things settle down. That's the yeah. plan. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Natalie, Rachel, and nomoreburnout.org or Twitter, Natalie, Rachel, R. Thanks. Thanks so much, James. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.